Curiosity is not a sin, Harry, but you should exercise caution. He's a time strand. You're fraternizing with the enemy. There's the, um, the Cruciatus curse. We'll celebrate a boy who was kind and honest and brave and true right to the very end. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We're doing chapter 36, The Parting of the Ways. We have Anna with us. Hey everyone. Uh, And this is going to be such a chapter. Oh my gosh. I loved reading this chapter. There's so much in it. There's so much detail. There's so much planning and thought and it like propels you so aggressively forward to where we're going. It's... That's for sure. It's fantastic. Uh, But before we get to all of that, (laughs) I just want to make the announcement once again. We're getting really close to it now. (gasps) Oh my god, I can't wait. Anna and I are going to Orlando, and we will be visiting the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Woo-woo! We are literally actually finalizing those details uh, very, very soon. Uh, But what I wanted to say is we will be spending one day there, so we don't want to spend a ton of time away from all of the rides and all of the experiences. But uh, we are planning a little mini uh, live stream on Instagram. Um, so depending on how many people actually like uh, jump in on it will be how long it goes, but probably not too long because we kind of want to enjoy our day there. So <laughs> stay tuned on our Twitter and Instagram. We will post those details, days, times, etc., whatever that ends up being, and we'll go from there. So kind of an exciting thing. Uh, also some exciting things, uh, some shout outs here. <laughs> I want to do two uh, shout-outs to countries, because <laughs> I'm me, number one. I know, I am. Uh, but I want to shout-out Sri Lanka and Estonia. Very cool. Two recent countries that have jumped on the Hogwarts a Podcast bandwagon. <laughs> Uh, but not only have they listened to us, they've listened to us multiple times because they have shot up the country rankings really quickly. So uh, thank you so much for those listening in those countries. Also, we wanted to shout out a very loyal listener of ours, Jenny Conway, and you can find her on Twitter at Jenny Conway. Uh, she just, she's been continuously supporting us uh, and interacting with us on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we just got into a little conversation about New Zealand recently. She's from New Zealand. I said, I really, really want to go. Uh, she said she wanted to come to the States and do some theme parks. So if you want to see some of the Wizarding World in, in, we'll in Orlando. Uh, stay tuned for that. But thank you to Jenny for always uh, supporting the podcast and interacting with us on Twitter. So we really, really appreciate it. Okay. This chapter. This <sighs> chapter is a lot. So we start out with the post-Crouch Jr. fallout, like right out the gate. It's mm-hmm. quick transition there. We have a, a really important scene in Albus's office. And then we have just a monumental scene uh, that in the hospital wing that I in my head takes up most of the chapter it, it doesn't it's probably like half and a half or something like that but probably but that there's so the much stuff that goes down in a hospital wing like is big it's massive so uh we'll start out with the post crouch junior fallout first of all just before we even get into the chapter the illustration for the chapter i find is really cool it's like i get why it's the illustration for the chapter but it always takes me by surprise when i reread i'm like why is this illustration for the chapter oh right okay yeah. It, it's just a cool, it's not like 
I mean, it is artwork, but it's not like a scene or mm -hmm. anything like that. It's literally what some people get tattooed on them. It's God, like it a little bit of a dark mark kind of uh, stylistically. But uh, so that was my first thought reading this. And then we get into uh, the next steps after you get that great scene of Dumbledore interrogating Barty Crouch Jr. And you know if you've been listening what Anna and I think mm -hmm. of Barty Crouch Jr. <laughs> you get McGonagall is... I love that description of her. I Ma love that scene. McGonagall is tasked with standing guard over Barty Crouch Jr. And she's nauseous, but steady. Mm -hmm. She's a little unnerved by it, but you can't tell so much. It's, it's a really interesting kind of... Well, and there's also the added layer in there that she is dealing with you know, in the back of her mind has to be the fact that one of her students is dead. Yeah. And at the end of the day, this man was responsible for it. I, I like how in the last chapter that Dumbledore gives McGonagall and Snape these seemingly weird <laughs> instructions. Yep. There's a lot of seemingly weird instructions from Dumbledore in these I think they're chapters. used to it. Clearly they're used to it yeah. because they're just like, yes, sir. And they just go do it. <laughs> uh and one of which is uh, bringing a black dog sitting in Hagrid's lawn up to Dumbledore's office, which we'll get into in uh, just a second. But he also has Snape go and get uh, Madame Pomfrey and Fudge. Pomfrey obviously needs to attend to the real Alistair Moody, yes. uh, who I think it's very safe to say needs real serious medical attention um, at this point. Yes, most definitely. Uh, and Fudge, who honestly I'm surprised is not there already. Did Dumbledore just like leave him at the, the site? Well, yeah, because I would assume that Dumbledore's primary concern was getting to Harry when he realized that he was gone. And I'm sure Fudge's primary concern was trying to minimize the freak out over, you know, for the Diggory's Amos is a high standing ministry member. That's where his concern was going to be. I just can't see Fudge being like the crowd control guy. No, me neither. As far as a ministry official goes, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But he obviously soon proves himself he's also not the the at an interrogation calmly guy. Yeah. I actually think it's pretty big of Dumbledore trusting of Dumbledore. I know obviously he's the minister of magic, but it's still pretty trusting of Dumbledore to go find him that quickly. Knowing yeah. the importance of Crouch. My mind would be going a thousand miles a minute in this situation, oh and Dumbledore gosh, just yeah. seems to have everything like... Which I have thoughts about that, <laughs> but I'm going to save that for chap book wrap-up, I think. Okay, fair enough. Don't worry, we'll be back on the topic of fudge <laughs> soon. But first, let's go, to, uh, let's go to Albus's office real quick. So we get a uh, reuniting of Sirius and Harry, which it just in itself is important. Um, I think, uh, and I, I wish Julie was here for this because uh, she's such a serious backer, mm -hmm. uh, and this moment is the type of stuff she points to in, oh, in those serious course. moments where, you know, I put in my notes, uh, godfatherly moment yes. uh, of literally, like, physically, emotionally supporting mm -hmm. Harry. Um, Trying to defend Harry, almost protect Harry from Dumbledore wanting to question him. Yeah, and I, I mean, if it wasn't the literal godfather title, this is almost like a legit fatherly moment mm -hmm. of, this is my kid. What, like, what are you doing? to a fatherly moment as Harry 
has probably ever had before though. Easily, yeah. easily. And um, it, it's, I guess, one of Sirius's shining moments, even though, <laughs> you know, Dumbledore has, you know, business <laughs> to get to here. He's right. like, I get it. I get it. And Sirius steps back very quickly. Like, he cows to Dumbledore very quickly. A lot do, which uh, yeah. is very interesting, because these are strong individuals. Exactly, and I think that's why it stands out to me. Yeah, it, it's... George Washington is, like, the only, <laughs> like, individual that I could think of that's actually existed in, like, somewhat recent times. maybe? Maybe. That just, like, has a voice where everybody just shuts up immediately and is yeah. like, okay, well, we're going with that. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know. It's just interesting. Anyway, so we, we get this quote, and I want your thoughts on this quote. Okay. Harry goes... I, I think in his head, just thinks, wanted nothing more than to just sit here undisturbed for hours and hours until he fell asleep and didn't have to think or feel anymore. And I pulled that quote because I think it's telling. Uh, you're starting to have all of the things that he's experienced, not just in the last 24 hours, but this year has been hard. Mm -hmm. These last two years, honestly, these all four years have been hard. Yeah, but this year in particular, for a couple different reasons, have been particularly hard for him. I, and if, here, within the last 24 hours, it's finally hit him, and I think the trauma of the event is really starting to s sink in. Agreed. And the idea of not wanting to think or feel anymore, you're starting to get some of those uh, wanting to be numb he describes that feeling and wanting to not think anymore and feel anymore. He says that quite a few times in this chapter and the next. We talk about it all the time on this podcast with other people, you and I. If ever there is a moment that Harry needs to be sat down with a counselor, this is it. I yes. mean, he just could have, if he didn't have the support system that he has, he could have been so lost after this. I mean, even when he when they get to the part where he's actually recounting everything to Dumbledore and Sirius, and obviously J.K. doesn't want to just rewrite all the details that we've already read, so she describes it as kind of Harry could see this moment happening, could see Wormtail huddled around his stump, could see Voldemort coming out of the cauldron. It's so vivid. The way she writes it, it's like Harry's truly feeling it all again in his mind and seeing it, and I... As somebody who's gone through not that intense trauma, obviously, but I kind of process things like that. And that's a really vivid, intense description for someone who is really feeling grief and trauma and needs some help. Dumbledore has had a couple of, uh, a couple of moments here where he was like, no, 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 no. He needs to see this. He needs, because I think McGonagall tries to shuffle him out of the room when he's interrogating Barty mm -hmm. Crouch. And he's like, no, no, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. In order to process this, he needs to understand. He needs to understand and yeah. know what's going on, which I thought was good. And you could argue whether it's healthy or not, but I, I think to really uh, get through some of these emotions, you need to acknowledge that they exist, and you need mm -hmm. to acknowledge that this did happen. Right. Uh, you can't try to shove it away and shove it down somewhere. It happened. You have to acknowledge that it happened and. Well, I think Harry himself even ends up describing it as, as he's telling it, there's a couple times Sirius seems like he's about to interject, 
and Harry's grateful that Dumbledore stops him because he was starting to feel like now he had started he could tell he was going to feel better at the end like he was extracting like a poisonous something from him it's it's a rude and this is just like the tipping point of Harry having to deal with a lot but it's a really interesting interaction between the three of them it is uh between Sirius Dumbledore and and Harry and it's worth noting and it's worth kind of just picking out a couple of those things meanwhile by the way we have another appearance by Fox who Mm. I like the idea of the more and more we get from Phoenixes the more and more we learn about Phoenix, like, yeah. for example, we learn all the way back in Chamber of Secrets that tears have healing powers, right? <laughs> of course. Fair enough. Uh, but here, uh, well, also in the Priory Incantatum chapter, you hear that Phoenix yep. song in the Golden Dome, yep. which mm-hmm. may or may not have theming with, like, life after death and rebirth mm-hmm. with the, the shadows, as right. Dumbledore calls it, the shadows coming through the, the wand with the, the magic there. But here, I think just even the presence of Fox, like literally Fox sitting on his knee, gives him that calming sensation, mm-hmm. that presence. I don't know when Dumbledore, like, I, I don't know when Dumbledore got Fox. I'm sure there's something somewhere around that probably has that information somewhere. Probably. But it's obviously got to be long time ago because Voldemort got the wand. Right. Yeah. So yeah, we we learn here that obviously both both uh, Phoenix feathers came from Fox in the in the two wands. But I, I imagine if I'm Albus, I'm like, yeah, having a Phoenix around is that's useful. <laughs> <laughs> like I could work with that on a number of different levels. Um, That's the real reason that Fox stays in his office is when he needs that calming presence. Fox is just hanging out. <laughs> Do you think right before he busted through the door? <laughs> That's the real the reason of the movie got it wrong. Fox wasn't there to calm down Michael Gambon. Exactly. <laughs> uh, hey, we as much as we joke about that scene, there have been other scenes in this book where Dumbledore has not been calm. And he's yeah. been sharp with people and been like, no, more no, no, no. More so than I think in any of the other books, yeah. Yeah, where he's more pointed, he's more aggressive, he's more like dominating the scene kind of. Yeah. Uh, I think Harry mentions a couple of times, it's like, oh, that that quote-unquote awesome Dumbledore, that that awe-inspiring Dumbledore. Right. I get it now because right. he comes through with such a you presence. You can feel the power coming off of him. Uh, but anyway, so we get the calming uh, and that sense of like strengthening through Fox in Harry to tell his story uh, again. <laughs> and then we get the the story itself. Harry mentions his blood being in Voldy, which Albus takes note of, uh, at least fleetingly. It's It's just like a Harry thinks he sees something in Dumbledore, and then Dumbledore just... Which I always, I took that to mean as Dumbledore had a thought, but he didn't want to share it yet. So he tried, immediately tried to wipe it from his face. But triumph is an interesting word choice for what it was that Harry thought he saw in Dumbledore's eye. I don't think it was actually mentioned other than the chapter title in the last, in the Priory Incantatum chapter. Oh, yes. I don't it's think the words actually... were actually mentioned other than the chapter title. So now right. we actually get the full, like, what it is. this is it. Yeah. And uh, we get that note about Harry and Voldy sharing the fox tail feathers and their wands. Um, I took note that 
Ollivander literally wrote Albus like the second Harry walked out of his shop. And I'm like, Albus's network is deep. Yes. Like he's getting info from everywhere. Yes. <laughs> he's half a Stumbledore. I like, I, it doesn't surprise me You at think all. he just has like a file cabinet somewhere in his office of just like labeled Harry Potter. <laughs> and every note that he gets on Harry at some point just gets shuffled in there. <laughs> I think that's what the pensive is for. So he doesn't have to have a big file cabinet like that. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> He has like a Harry Potter pensive somewhere. Yes, <laughs> like, yes that's it. Regular pensive, Harry, Harry Potter, Potter pensive. <laughs> uh, I mean, it wouldn't be a bad idea. It wouldn't surprise me from Dumbledore either. But he does mention that the wands themselves won't work properly against each other. So I'm imagining Ollivander and Albus are having a conversation at that point, being like, I don't know, I, I'm not going to pretend that Albus knows more about wand lore than, than Ollivander. No, I would think knows Ollivander a lot. would be one of the few people who knows more on a subject. Than right. I think Dumbledore yeah. knows, as all wise men do, when your limit is hit on, on information and which expert you can go yeah. to learn. Definitely. And I imagine they'd have that conversation of like, okay, so let's play this out. <laughs> they have the same Phoenix Feather Wand course. What does that mean? What's going to happen? Yeah. I would imagine he even has another conversation with Ollivander after this. Like, that's going to be, it's going to be pushed back a couple weeks. It's not going to be high on the priority list after tonight's events. But I imagine down the road is another letter to Ollivander being like, okay, we need to talk more in depth <laughs> about this connection now. And I just feel like people go with it because it's Albus. They're yeah. like, this is a weird question to get out of nowhere. But, you know, it's Albus. Nobody so even hesitates. Gonna... No. They're just like, all right. It's uh, that, that charming effect that he has on people is, is quite substantial. Okay. You know who's not substantial on? Fudge. But we'll get to that in a second. Oh, gosh. Uh, so we get the hospital wing here. So Harry actually gets to the hospital wing finally because he's got a lot, of, a lot of injuries. But we see Mrs. Weasley, Bill, Ron, and Hermione waiting for him in the hospital wing. And I love Dumbledore. Harry loves Dumbledore. It's just coming out and saying, like, we know you have questions. He's just had to relive this a second time. Right. Let him rest. I love the moment of, can't you just picture Mrs. Weasley? Did you see him? He needs quiet. Like, Such a she's mom the moment. only one who said anything so far. Like, <laughs> I just love it so much. Such a mom moment. And, you know, I could also, if... He had not specifically said that. If it was, again, going back to Dumbledore's weight that he carries, I'm sure if anybody else said that, Mrs. Weasley would completely ignore it. Right, And exactly. just be the first yeah. one to ask him about it. Yes. But anyway, uh, so <laughs> we have that. Then we get the interesting uh, combination of people. We get Albus, Severus, Fudge, and uh, McGonagall herself. And these words were interesting. You get McGonagall, quote-unquote, shrieking, mm. and you get Fudge roaring. So you're getting, like... Both out of character. Both out of character two. for those yeah. two. They're both losing their control a little bit. Well, and Snape's quiet. You don't even realize Snape enters with them until a couple sentences later. And then my other question, before we get too deep into the big events that are to come, mm -hmm. where is... Dumbledore right now because when he left the hospital wing he was supposed to be going to meet Fudge. You would think they would take 
similar routes if, you know, everything had already happened in the classroom, they would have met up and they would have all arrived together. This would have taken place somewhere else in the hospital wing. But Dumbledore enters after. So if he didn't go to Maid Fudge, like he said he was going, where did he go? The only, well, so here's what I'm thinking. I think he ex- escorted Sirius and Harry to the hospital wing. Right. And then while he was doing that, I'm thinking Fudge took it upon himself to get the Dementor right. and, and go yes. up. Right. So he was thinking he was going to meet. Oh, you thought they were They crossed paths. The, but then how did he end up? I don't know. I kind of had a moment, and maybe I just made this up for myself, but I kind of liked it, that Dumbledore really had just stepped away. Before. He was going to go meet Fudge, but that he was finally taking a moment for himself. Because he has been, like, his mind has been moving very quickly. Plans, 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 moment, 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 finding out all this information. Mm-hmm. Cedric's dead. Maybe even the great Albus Dumbledore had stepped aside to decompress. I guess we don't know how long Harry was asleep for. We don't, and he didn't take all of the potions. Right. So it, it might have been very briefly. Right. Um, maybe a couple of minutes. Although I would assume this did take some time to pull off. I imagine the Dementor... How did the Dementor get to Hogwarts? That like he had to be summoned. Right. I don't know how that works. The reason the Dementor is there is Fudge brought the Dementor in once he heard from Snape that it was a Death Eater that caused all of this commotion and the death of a student and ruining the Triwizard Tournament and all blah 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 all of that. The moment that thing entered the room, it swooped down on Crouch. I always kind of just assumed the Dementor was kind of acting on a Voldemort-type order. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's an interesting thing. I always thought it was a Dementor already leaning towards the Voldemort side of my thought process for being free from the Ministry. That's an interesting take. My thought process was the Dementors are not happy that someone escaped. Well, and and they wanted a little bit of their own, to own revenge, selfish revenge of like sure. he got one up on us. We're gonna end that real true. quick. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, that also makes sense. Yeah, that was always my thought process. On yeah, it. but um, yeah. So Barty Crouch Jr. immediately kissed Soul, sucked out. Bye. And he is now irrelevant in the whole process. Over. Yes, our fan club was brief but powerful. <laughs> um. Yeah, Barty Crouch is no longer a player in this whole in this whole game. But uh, the Fudge and Albus debate that ensues afterwards is heated, intense. Oh, god! And we will get into the dynamics of it uh, because there's a lot to break down in there. But Albus essentially says, "You've ruined our chances for having him testify under like Veritaserum." He gets into the whole thing like he confessed to me and my staff about all of this stuff under the influence of Veritas Serum. And um, Fudge is just continuously coming back at him with, he's a madman, you can't trust anything he says, he's clearly delusional, even if he thinks he's saying the truth, doesn't necessarily mean that truth is the real truth. There's a lot, there's a lot in there. Harry (laughs) is up at this point. And Harry did pretty good staying quiet for quite a while. He did. Uh, then he tried to <laughs> speak up for himself, which shocked everybody. And then he tries to call out Death Eaters. 
mm-hmm. which is an interesting back and forth. Uh, I feel like personally, he shouldn't have started with Malfoy. I feel like that's that can be shoot away as like a one of Fudge's favorites. He's one of Fudge's favorites, and he's everybody knows he's a rival of Draco. So I feel like that's true, you could cross true. that off as a fourteen-year-old vendetta against a yeah. Shouldn't have started with Malfoy. That was a that was a bad name to start with. Even oh, Crab and Goyle would have been bad. Even he knows them. If he had started with a couple names that nobody knows that he even knows their existence. Right. Yeah. So, but you know, and Fudge comes back at him with like, "You could have looked this up in any library or any paper. Like this was big news. It's not. It's not but a secret." Also, since we know Harry's right, doesn't it also kind of add on that extra layer of annoyance with Fudge when Fudge is just like, "You're just naming." People who were accused and cleared. And it's like, you cleared the wrong people because these are Death Eaters. Yeah, I, so that kind of brings into a larger conversation on Fudge because you're right. Uh, from, from our perspective, we're reading this, obviously, in the corner of Harry and, and, and Albus. Yeah. Uh, we're like, oh, we, we saw the scene. We saw the graveyard scene. We know this is factual. Why don't you believe them? I'm going to do the hard thing and disassociate myself from the Harry Albus corner and put myself in Fudge's shoes here. You're the Minister of Magic. You lived through the first Wizarding War. You know what that was like, the panic, the fear. You're the head of government. You don't want to incite panic when not all of the facts and all the details are necessarily known. Uh, You're, again... From his point of view, Barty Crouch Jr. is insane. And you can make a good argument that he is a little insane. (laughs) That's not exactly out of the ballpark there. (laughs) So, and, you know, there's the added layer of the weight we've been talking about this entire episode of Albus Dumbledore and the sway that he has over so many people. Uh, I think Fudge is a little cognizant of that and he's aware of that and he always has that eye over his shoulder of who's trying to take my spot yeah he does and he's a politician he is a politician and he's always looking to secure his position and secure his power uh even if he might agree that let's like him and albus kind of play this game of like well what if it's true (laughs) like let's play the game of if voldy is back that's a problem, right? And what would you do? What you could, I think the, the quote's even in there. You could be known as the man yeah. who acted now and stunted the rise of Voldy. Or you could later be known as the man who gave him free, uh, free reign to gain strength and power again. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, mm-hmm. Dumbledore's words are much more poetic. Okay, going back to your original yeah, I'm, I'm a rambling. idea of trying to think of it from Fudge's perspective. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll kind of give that Crouch was insane. So maybe you don't believe that part of it. And even, you know, that the real Moody is alive and he was posing as this real Moody, even though he was in jail for Azkaban, even though he did kill his father. Okay, maybe he was, he just went insane in Azkaban, thought he was acting under Voldemort's orders, but wasn't really. Okay, so I guess then we do lose all of his testimony. The part with 
Rita Skeeter and Harry and him not believing Harry mostly because of the Rita Skeeter article, I struggle with dismissing that more because to me that's just one more person who can't see through Rita Skeeter's lies, who's taken in by maybe not more explosive journalism than looking into other sources and seeing if Rita is potentially biased and asking Dumbledore before this moment what the deal was with Harry and how true is this Rita Skeeter article, you know. So I think he's more prejudiced towards finding out information outside of his own little world. And now going back to your point about like, Dumbledore trying to call him out on like, you could either be this great minister who's remembered forever as taking bold steps to stop Voldemort or standing by doing nothing. Harry, which like, whoa, um, 14 year old having deep thoughts, has this thought of that clearly fudge, and this is the part of it that I wrote down, but that he was refusing point blank to accept the prospect of disruption in his comfortable and ordered world. That's a heavy thought for a 14-year-old. It is a heavy thought for a 14-year-old. So maybe JK just trying to make some points in the mind of Harry. But I think that is what it comes down to about Fudge. Is that it's not so much, oh, Crouch was insane. Oh, Harry's insane. Oh, this or that. It's that he, at the end of the day, even if you take into consideration all the different things you just said, I think at the end of the day, he just doesn't want to be back in that world that was the first wizarding world. I I think we all know politicians who ignore the obvious truth just to maintain their seat, to get reelected or to get another appointment or another assignment. Just their cushy world. It's a cushy world. That being said, I think... I will give you the exact quote, because Dumbledore's words are much better than mine ever. Uh, So I will give you the exact quote. But I think Dumbledore is shrewd here with what he says. Mm -hmm. The exact quote is, You will be remembered as one of the bravest and greatest ministers of magic ever. Or the man who stepped aside and allowed Voldy another chance. And why I say Dumbledore is shrewd with that is he's buttering Fudge up. He knows... That fu- what kind of man Fudge is. So he says, you will be remembered as one of the bravest and greatest ministers of magic. That's a shrewd comment from him. It is, but I think you left out an important part. I don't think hmm. we can necessarily say Dumbledore is buttering him up because the first part of that little speech is, I, I wrote this whole paragraph down because it just like stood out to me. But he, uh, okay, so it goes, You are blinded, said Dumbledore, his voice rising now, the aura of power around him palpable, his eyes blazing once more. By the love of the office you hold, Cornelius, you place too much importance, and you always have done, on the so-called purity of blood. You fail to recognize that it matters not what someone is born, but what they grow to be. And that's eventually what he ends with, is the quote you were talking about. It's... He's not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but he is losing control a little bit. Yes. And he's starting Which, to be a little bit more attacking. Yeah. And... I think he's still making some really poignant points. I mean, 100%. goodness me. Then he continues on with that pure blood, uh, blood thought with, 
you just eliminated the last yes. remaining member yes. of mm -hmm. a prominent pure blood family. So and look it, at what he made of his life. And look at what he made of his life. It's, it's guys, there's so much here. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> there's so much here. But I do want to make the point that Fudge, as, as aloof as he's coming off here, he is not an idiot. No, he's not. He obviously got himself to the post he, of Minister for Magic. Right. He fully comprehends what Dumbledore is saying. Right. He's not being like, oh, Dumbledore is, uh, Dumbledore is using big words and I'm confused or whatever. No, he understands explicitly what Albus is saying and what he's implying underneath the words that he's saying. And he's coming back at Dumbledore with, like I said, if I'm in Fudge's shoes here, they're not unreasonable comebacks. They're not. And to the point you made about the Rita Skeeter article, We've talked about before, Rita Skeeter, yes, sensationalism is definitely part of her writing, but she's not Everyone's putting in untruths. Has, you know, you're right. She puts in facts. She ups them with sensationalist writing. I still don't think much of a head of country taking one single article as the ultimate fact. It's really easy, though, if you're fudged to be like, Parcel tongue, Dumbledore. Really, you you held back that? That's another prejudice that he has. It is, but in fairness, that particular trait is. Why should we have a register of parcel tongues instead of the Sokovia Accords? We'll have the Parcel Tongue Accords. There's not many of them, so it'd be real easy. <laughs> That's <laughs> like... just more discrimination against people who speak parcel tongue. Why does the government need to know who's parcel mouth? Or tongue or whatever the phrase is. Well, you have Salazar Slytherin, you have descendants of Salazar Slytherin, and you have Voldy. <laughs> there's a trail of blood that follows that particular trait. I still don't think that excuse. Well, anyway. <laughs> there's, it's a, it, my bottom line is, when he says that to Dumbledore, I do think Dumbledore has to then think quickly about what his next words are going to be, because I think he has a point. At least. It's like, you didn't mention any of this. You haven't disclosed any of this. Why does he need to? Harry's a 14-year-old child going to school. But when Rita drops that... education you got to control the narrative. He's a politician. You're spinning. You're spinning information. you got to control that narrative. You're letting Rita Skeeter control the narrative of, like, what angle you want to spin. And she's spinning that this way. If Dumbledore got out ahead of it, maybe he could have spun it a different way. And that's, now you've allowed Fudge to attack you with your withholding information. I think my comeback would have been, like, what you're talking about right now is allowing the personal information of a minor to be used as weapons in a political game. Sure. And, uh, no, so you're right. That would be my comeback no. to that. No, you're right. <laughs> but, but that's what makes this back and forth so interesting. It's not like either of them are coming at it from like a way off base thing. I think they right. each have their ground of truth. At the end of the day, Cornelius Fudge is not a bad person. If he had been in that graveyard seeing Voldemort return, maybe even if he had been there for the in initial Barty Crouch interrogation, maybe he would be more accepting of the fact that, okay, hey, Voldemort's back, we got it. Maybe, I just still don't know that he would necessarily be taking the steps that Dumbledore wants him to take because those are I don't know if he's brave enough to take those steps, but I think he would be more willing to start doing something to, you know, stop Voldemort. Right. It's not like his goal was to let Voldemort lay low and become powerful. Yeah, no, I, I think 
I'm obviously in camp Harry and Albus right. here. I'm just, you know, switching my perspective to Fudge, and it's like... He's not the only person who could be a prime minister who would have taken the stance that he takes. Yeah, I, I think he's playing uh, an understandable role. I, I think he himself personally is panicked by the idea mm-hmm. of Voldy returning, and I, I think he does know his constituents. I think he does know that if that got dropped in the profit the next day, there would be questions and panic and what is going on. And then I mean, just look at the state of the stadium for the Triwizard Tournament. Like that would be the entire Wizarding world. And then here's a real conundrum for Fudge. <laughs> Do you want to be the one taking those questions? <laughs> Do you want to be, because you would be, if that's in the Daily Prophet the next day, people are coming to you for answers. People are coming to you, and he's not the type of person anymore who's going to pull Dumbledore in and be like, actually, here's the person to tell you all the exactly. answers. Exactly. Exactly. So, because yeah. then if he pulls Dumbledore in to answer those questions... People are going to want Dumbledore to take his job. Exactly. Which we all know that Dumbledore's not going to do, but Fudge doesn't know that. And this is uh, going back to Fudge isn't an idiot in that he knows all of this. Like, he's Dumbledore's playing a game in his head of chess already. Fudge is doing the same thing politically. He's like, oh, this could be a disaster if this gets out. Like, why would you put this out there? Like, whatever. And it's blinding him a bit, obviously. Mm -hmm. But it's a really interesting conversation to break down. And I love reading the back and forth between them. It's fascinating to me. I think maybe part of the reason Dumbledore starts losing it is that maybe this... This possibly is the first time that Fudge isn't just accepting Dumbledore's narrative of it. You know, like you said, they're both, their minds are playing, they're playing their own games. Mm-hmm. They have their own versions of reality that they think are right. Are you saying their ways are parted? <laughs> but, um, Dumbledore says it better. Just a bit. <laughs> Oh, anyway, um, so we do have some other things going on in this chapter. Unbelievably enough, we have other things going on in this chapter. So obviously the the parting of the ways has happened. Yes. You have this split now between Albus and Fudge. Uh, And there, but before they officially leave the room, the one who's been silent to the side this entire time finally makes his entrance. And he steps up aggressively to Fudge and pulls up his left sleeve and he, and Fudge recoils at the dark mark that's on Snape's arm and I'm like he just did this in front of everyone yep I'm, I'm people might have suspected people might have always accused but people had no proof other than other than Fudge Albus and presumably McGonagall knew so those three definitely knew everybody else in that room i don't like the man i never will it's brave that's a big statement yeah it's a big bold statement statement. i just wanted to acknowledge that snape put himself out there yeah it was a last ditch effort to try and get he doesn't want voldemort back in power any more than dumbledore it's his last to me it's his last ditch effort to try and get cornelius on task and you knew if you knew he's been communicating with Dumbledore this entire time. Like, hey, this mark is burning. 
this is getting stronger. It's getting stronger. Oh my goodness. What if, like, my arm is on fire right now. I'm supposed to be gone. I'm supposed to be gone. There's even more uh, with Snape even a little later. Snape really plays a big role in this chapter, even though he's only in it for, like, two pages, <laughs> essentially. He's very quiet. He's there, like, the whole time. But other than this, he's quite quiet for most of it. Yeah. As Fudge is walking out the door, he goes, he's like, oh, yeah, here. Oh, That's right. Yeah. Harry has a thousand galleons now. Just, meh. That's a thing, <laughs> Ordinarily, I guess. there would have been a ceremony. <laughs> right. There would have been a whole big thing, but not anymore. Fudge leaves the room. And now, what was already an insanely interesting chapter becomes ten times more intriguing. Yeah. And you've already had Dumbledore, when he was talking to Fudge, beginning the countermeasures. Hey, we got to take Azkaban from the mentors. Hey, we got to send envoys to the giants. Like, hey, we got to do X, Y, and Z here. We got to move. And now he's continuing because the first thing he says as Fudge closes that door is, Molly, can I count on you and Arthur? I love that. And I, you know what I love even more? Of course. Of course you can. Well, and she also boom, has boom. the line, go, not to bring back our Fudge conversation, but she says... We know what fudge is. Yeah. So, like, there are constituents who realize fudge is not the best. He's pretty prejudiced. But anyway, yes. So uh, Molly comes with, of of course you can count on Arthur and I. And then Bill steps up immediately. He's like, I got this. I'll go alert Dad. I think this book is another reason that Bill is my favorite. Uh, Bill's great. The other Weasley siblings, yeah. Yeah. I I, I mean, it's hard to find faults in the Weasleys. It's you really have to kind of pick at them, but I mean, there's I can't think of one thing that I dislike about those, <laughs> so I'm like, eh. um, so yeah, but he steps up immediately, and he's like, I'll go tell dad, and then he just like, boom, gone, yeah. And Albus just like, great, moving on, <laughs> like, <laughs> cool, <half> done. <laughs> yeah, and then he's like, okay, now we got to go and get Hagrid and Madame Maxine, we got to get them on the on board, and uh. We gotta figure that out. Oh, also, we gotta let everybody in on the secret real quick. Molly's <laughs> reaction is so good, though. But what makes it even better is Ron's. Mom, shut up. <laughs> it, I mean, Molly has an appropriate reaction she given does. all of her knowledge. Exactly, it's such an appropriate reaction. And then Ron is just this embarrassed teenager. Like, Mom, you're embarrassing me right now. I love it so much. And then, so. We get the serious transforming back. By the way, Molly's not the only one with a reaction to this. Snape is not particularly pleased. No, no, he's not. And then I like the Albus thing of like, okay, look, if this is going to work, we have to be united. We're all on the same page. We're in this room. You guys need to shake hands. Hug it out, guys. Just hug it out. And then he admends it. He's like, okay, that's not going to happen. All right, let's... Just non-combative. <laughs> Just be non-combative with each other and we'll be fine. At one point, though, he gets irritated with them. Like, he kind of gets, I think she mentions his tone of voice changes. Where he's, like, clearly frustrated. He's the adult in the room always. Mm, which is yeah. what we've literally been talking about this entire episode. Is He's the adult in the room amongst adults. Yeah. And this is another example of it. He's like, can you guys put your childish stuff away for just a second? This is important. Like, figure it out. Which, to each of their credits. They do. They do. Yes, they do. They put it 
if it's for Dumbledore or whatever, they put their stuff to the side for just a second to have a brief handshake, but a handshake nonetheless. Sirius does leave pretty soon after. He does. So here's the assignments, um, and I want to dig into this a little bit, and I know we're running long. We might actually have to dip into the spoiler section with this, but worth it. <laughs> so Sirius's mission, if you will, is to alert Remus Lupin of the events to get uh, Arabelle Fig and Pundungus Fletcher, <laughs> to which Dumbledore refers to it as, quote, the old crowd. Is that literally they are old... <laughs> Stop, no. I'm just, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> I was like, come on, Dan. I'm teasing. I mean, Albus is like 112 at this point. I don't know. So, uh, but yeah, he calls them the old crowd, which I think is interesting. And then Severus, all he does is he turns to Severus and goes, you know what I must ask you to do if you are prepared. And all he says in response is, I am. I, I, I'm doubling back in a second to that, because that deserves a whole thing real quick. But can I just say how stunning Albus Dumbledore is? We've given Barty Crouch Jr. a lot of love. I think right now, Albus deserves a lot of credit here, because he's juggling so much in such a brief time, and he even stops and considers Winky. Like, with Sirius Snape... But he just dueled with the... He verbally jousted with the Minister of Magic. He had a, one of his students die tonight. It's the Triwizard Tournament's wrapping up. There's things to do with that. He just had a Death Eater lose his soul just like a couple rooms away. And he stops and thinks of a house elf. And he's like, we need the house elf. What? Like, I... The brain capacity of that man... To think of all of this while all of this is going on is, like, stunning to me. Okay, again, I have lots of thoughts about all of the things he's thinking of and all the plans he's made that I want to save for book wrap-up. But what I will say in response to you is I 100% agree with you. Albus is stunning. I love Albus Dumbledore. I do. He's not a perfect man, and I think that's why people get so mad at him, because he's not perfect, and people think he's supposed to be perfect. But he's... This is one of those. This is one of those moments that. How do you not think he's perfect here? Right. Like, like in the literal definition of perfect, because there's no flaws here. He is on point, <laughs> like to the nth degree. Yeah. It's. I challenge anyone in a pressure situation to have this level of control over your thoughts, over your emotions, right. over other people's thoughts and emotions. Yeah. And able to wrangle it all in. And still Stunning. trying to do his very best to care for Harry, who he knows has to be on his breaking point. Yeah. Really quickly, I know we're running long, and I don't want to skirt this. So if it runs longer, we'll have to just break into the spoiler section with it. But the Severus, you know what I must ask you to do if you are prepared. I am. That is such trust from both parties. Yeah, it does. When you, if you're Albus, from Albus's point of view here, all you have to do is, you know what you got to do. And from Snape's point of view is like, I'm good. I'm ready. Like without hesitation, without a further discussion, you're both fully clued into what must take place. And we can get into the spoilery nature of it in the spoiler section. But 
if someone's asking me <laughs> to like, you know what you got to do. Are you ready for it? Without hesitation to be like, yes, I'm ready. Like, even if I know I'm competent enough to do the job, there's still a hesitation in me. Like, am I? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, even though I know I'm capable of doing that job, I'd still be like, wait a second. He just asked him, am I capable? Yeah, 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 yeah. Here, it's just like, I got this. Yeah. Like, a calm, cool, collected from both parties, which is interesting. Uh, really quick, um, and we can get back to it in spoilers, so, you know, it is what it is. But um, I just want to acknowledge Harry at the very end here, uh, saying that he could feel a burning, prickling feeling in the inner corners of his eyes. Oh, I have so much to say about this part of the chapter. We'll, we'll, we'll break in more. So here, here's what we're going to do. Molly and Harry have a very interesting interaction at the very end of this chapter. We're going to talk about it more after our break. <laughs> and when we do decide to dip into the spoilers, we'll, we'll just shout out, hey, spoiler section coming. <laughs> and that's how we'll do it. So uh, we will be right back after the break. Kill the stag! All right, so we are back with the still non-spoiler, non-spoiler part uh, of this chapter. And then we'll get to spoilers a little later. And they will be clearly marked, so fret not. But... <laughs> We, we ended on that Molly and Harry interaction with uh, Harry feeling a burning, prickling feeling in the corners of his eyes as Molly embraces him and says something so simple as, it's not your fault. None of it's your fault. And gives him a big hug, which Harry states that he can't ever remember having this before. Uh, I'm sure, and he's sure he's had it, but it's so long before like conscious memory that he can't ever actually remember it. And uh, I I know we were talking in the prep for this of uh, this chapter has some points where it kind of gets to you. And, you know, for me, the the Albus Fudge stuff got to me because it like perked up my, you know, political chess game kind of like, ooh, this is intriguing. But this tugs at the heartstrings a little bit. Oh, so hardcore. Because uh, you feel it. Yeah. And you feel what Harry has been through. And you know that's traumatic for anybody. And I think that's what Albus recognizes when he's in that meeting in his office is, I'm a very old man <laughs> that has lived and done a lot. And I don't know if I could have gotten through what you got through tonight um that's hard and uh i think you know molly just having that calm moment of all of his trauma has been sinking into harry this entire time and he's been he says he's trying to fight this sensation so okay i don't even think of it as molly seeing you know trying to remain calm and i i think Molly is the first one to finally, yes, she got caught up in the politics and, you know, okay, we need to game plan and Dumbledore's counting on us to fight Voldemort. But I think standing over Harry and looking at him getting ready to make sure he drinks his potion is finally the first time since Harry first walked into the hospital wing that she's allowing herself to be herself. 
and just look at him as a mom would look at a son. And that's why Harry, like you said, it's yeah. the first time he can really remember having a hug like this. And I feel like, you know, we found a couple of flaws that we've tried to point out in Molly with the Easter eggs. But at the end of the day... She has some flaws, but they're, Molly they're human flaws. Molly like... Yeah. Harry needs her. We need her. Sure. Everybody in the world needs a hug in this moment. And I feel like Harry was trying to hold back the tears because he's a 14-year-old boy. And he's been pushing himself to not He's in front of Ron. Uh, he wanted Ron to look away. Like, yeah. Molly finally let himself just cry. And that's what... And this is the question I had for you. So, like, Molly gives him this and he needs this moment. And we gave... Serious, his recognition for his godfatherly moment trying to protect Harry from Dumbledore's questions. But when I read that, the fact that Sirius did not immediately engulf Harry into a hug when Harry walked into that office has always been strange to me. Hmm. So is that like a guy thing? That like the fact that it took Molly to be the one to like give Harry? Because I don't know, I grew up with a mom for a nurse who she worked with babies. And since the day I was born, it was very much just like, there's a healing power in touch, Annie, and I'm going to hug you to death. And it's just sure. my life. But uh, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of layers to it. I think uh, for some men, uh, they're adverse to that kind of physical touch. But there are plenty of others even when that, it's like an adult to a child, yeah. Uh, there, no, but the other way around too. There are plenty that that do have those kind of embraces. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, it's a lot to that type of person, that type of uh, individual's personality. But like in the case of Sirius and Harry, if let's say James was still around and. Sirius and James have been off doing different things, and they see each other for the first time in years, let's say. Well, we don't even have to use that excuse. Lupin and Sirius. Like, when they, when they meet again in, in Prisoner of Azkaban, and they figure out, like, oh, wait, this is what's going on. Yep. They embrace. Exactly. They have a massive yes. big hug. Right. Uh, I, th I think this scenario might be twofold. Uh, I think it's one, um, as much as Sirius loves Harry, I don't, I don't know that... This is like the second time they've actually been in each other's presence. Sure. Uh, that's number one, and for longer than 15 minutes. That's true. That's, that's usually my point, so touche to throw that back out at me. That, that's, that's, <laughs> that's one point. But two, um, I think, I don't know that Sirius knows what it is to be a father. He might be going back to what his family dynamic was. Not That's harsh, because Sirius has an interesting family dynamic, but... The idea of what should a father do in this situation, and his... even what Harry would want from him in this situation. Sure. Uh, which, by the way, for the, for the record, what Sirius did was not bad. No. Uh, his version of comfort in this situation was putting a reassuring hand on mm -hmm. Harry's shoulder, standing behind him, being like, "I'm here for you. Right. I'm going to be your protector and no, your no, guard." No, I'm not trying to badmouth Sirius. I no, just no, no, no. it's was odd to me. It always sticks out to me that this is the first time anybody has offered that kind of comfort to Harry since I th 
Um, I don't know if this is where you were going with it, but the the difference between Molly giving him a loving, embracing hug and Sirius just putting a hand on his shoulder, I don't know if that's a narrow-minded view of what a man giving support and what a woman giving support might be, like a sexualized breakdown of the two. Yeah. Like, women comfort this way, men comfort this way. Like, I don't know if, you know... Well, and that was even my question. It's like, yeah. is this actually, like, an accurate representation? And that it's probably... The, the truth is it's it's a gray area, and it True. varies on the individual and that dynamic and that relationship. Molly has always viewed him as one of her own. Not saying serious... I think Sirius's emotions are conflicted here because I think he knows he's his godfather mm-hmm. and he knows he plays a very important role in Harry's life and his development. But does he play the role of father? Right. Should he play he the role of father? For 12 years. Yeah. It, it, it's like, how, what am I exactly supposed to do here? And I, I'm not a father. I've never had that, you know? Yeah. So Sirius is in, an interesting emotional spot. Uh, I personally think he does a great job here, or at least a very good job. Again, not in any way trying to knock Sirius. Sure. As, you know, I totally no, it was a good question. There for Harry. Sure. It just always, I don't know why it sticks out to me so much. Well, because I think maybe she does have that. Uh, I think J.K., the, the actual author, might have that yeah. role, that gender role. Yes. Maybe that is why it sticks out to me and it bothers me. That it Maybe. always seems that to be she that has way pigeonholed in that books. that gender role as woman does this, man does More this. More worried about Ron looking at him crying than Hermione. Right. Yeah. Like it, you know, that might play into the author's preference a little yeah. bit more, which she we know she has. Ooh, JK. Preference. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so there's that. Um, I know that's a that's a fair question. I hope I answered it well. Um, you did. Thank you. But. I just feel, I, I feel Harry here. Like, I, at some point, the weight of everything just hits you differently. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you let your guard down a little bit, that's when you get, and I love the description of it, burning, prickling feeling in the, in the corners of your eyes. Eventually move to a burning in his throat. Yeah, and you just let yourself go a little bit. And I, I challenge anyone to not have that feeling at some point in your life you're going to have. An overwhelmed, oh my gosh, I can't believe all of this just happened. And it doesn't have to be as serious as this. No. Uh, it can I be, hope it's not as serious I, I, as this. I pray that it's not as head. serious. Um, you know, it could be something that others perceive as trivial, but it's meaningful to you, and it was overwhelming to you, and then you have this sensation of just... <sighs> and that it's okay to... <sighs> and it's not your fault. Yeah. And things that oh, happened... That was so important for him to hear. I love that Molly knew that that was what he needed to hear. Even if you are... Even if you logically know that anything that happened is not your fault, you know that, I can't emphasize how much it helps to just hear it. <laughs> like, from somebody else. Yeah. Not your own head. Mm-hmm. Like, it matters. And just that moment, it's a great moment from, yes. from Molly. I would say that is in the running for my top favorite Molly Weasley moment. There's a couple of really good Molly moments, but there are. 
I wouldn't argue that this is in the running. This is a great moment from her. Unless you have anything else for non-spoilers. Okay. So at this point now, <laughs> we will transition to spoilers. So if you don't imagine want to be spoiled. Yeah, imagine the break noise again. Kill the spare, all that. Uh, this is the moment we're going to go to spoilers. So I will give you a countdown. And at the end of the countdown, spoiler talk. <laughs> Five, four, three, two, one. Spoilers. Okay. Um, I want to go back to the, the Snape IM thing. Okay. Um, and, you know, we kind of danced around just the bigness of the job that Albus is asking of him. And I think it's... There's so much Snape in these seven books. Yes. And there's a lot of good, and there's a lot of bad. Fair. All of it's fair game. And in some of the most egregiously bad Snape moments, it's it's easy to forget the job that he actually has. Mm. And it is not an easy one. No, it's not. To, we heard what Barty Crouch thought of all of the Death Eaters. We know what Barty Crouch thinks of Snape. Throughout this entire book, he takes shots at Snape. And you got to imagine the other Death Eaters not pleased that Snape is, A, not with them, B, has a fairly cushy job, and C, right under the nose of Albus Dumbledore. They can't be pleased. And if we, in, if we inferred correctly, we know that Voldy's probably not pleased with Snape to begin right. with for working with Voldy, or for working with Dumbledore. So he's walking into a hornet's nest. I think, I realistically, I think he had to walk into that thinking he's not walking back out. Like, there, there is a real chance that Voldemort does not accept his story that he was just biding his time and has all this information to, for him, and that was the real reason he was working at Hogwarts. There's a very real chance he is walking to his death. Can you imagine any decision that you have to make in your life where you're like, I make this decision, I might not survive this. Like, that's... The reason I didn't go to, to the military. No, I cannot <laughs> imagine making decisions like that for myself. That's heavy. That's very heavy. And does yeah. he hesitate? No. He answers, but I am. He has to have been thinking about this throughout the entire year. Like He has to have been mentally prepping himself. The darker it gets, he knows. Him and Dumbledore have clearly had this conversation. He knows this is going to be his role. I think he's been mentally preparing himself. All year. And then, and then you know, I'm, I'm sure there's other added pressure. You just heard Albus and the Minister of Magic go to town on each other. And you're in the background hearing all of this. You think enough of it to out yourself to the rest of the room as definitively you were a Death Eater. And then you get Albus Dumbledore. After all of that, in his awe-inspiringness of him, you get him turning to you and being like, you know what I must ask you to do, if you're prepared. And, I mean, I don't know. If I, if I get a figure, like, I'm going to use it again, because why not? If George Washington, <laughs> if I'm in the Revolutionary War, and George Washington, and I'm some soldier, and George Washington comes up to me and is like, I need you to do this. He had a massive spy ring. Like, and what are you going to say? Yeah. No. <laughs> like, you're going to have to man up and do it for this 
this great individual. So it's like, it, what he's asked to do. Steve doesn't have friends. Everybody hates him. When he gets into the order, nobody likes him. People are constantly questioning his loyalty. He's alone on an island. Yeah. And all he the time. still does what he does. Again. And if you think about like it. Don't like the man, but worlds of respect. He's, uh, he's on an island in both worlds. Mm-hmm. And he's got to convince some of the deadliest people in the Wizarding World at this time, the deadliest person in the Wizarding World at this time, that he's on their side yeah. when he is not. And that's, that's hard. And I, I get all of the Snape hate, I, and, and all of that's warranted, and we'll have further discussions on that going forward. But really, people really need... And that is fine. If you don't like Snape, that's fine. I'm not trying to change your opinion on that. Right. It is what it is, and you're entitled to it. But if you do, all I ask is that you acknowledge that he is potentially doing the single toughest thing that anyone in this whole series has to do. Well, I think, I think it was you and Jen who were having a conversation about Dumbledore, and she made the point of, you know, like, you guys were talking about how he uses all these different people close to him as kind of like chess pieces. Mm -hmm. And does that mean that he, he doesn't really care about them? They're just, you know, pawns for him. And she said, well, why can't it be both? Like, Dumbledore clearly cares about these people so much. But yes, he's also moving them around because he knows this is important. I would say to your point that you were just trying to make about Snape. It's both. Like, he's, I don't know. Does anybody really actually like the personality of Severus Snape? I would challenge anybody who says they do. But why can't it be both that you don't like him as a person? He's got some really horrible things that he does to his students. But he's also, as Harry himself says, the bravest man he ever knew. Doing this spectacularly hard, necessary to the result of the story thing. Yeah, I think Dumbledore says towards the end, it's like, I think we sort too soon. Because that bravery is... Oh, he still doesn't belong in Griffin. I, I get you, but, but agree, the Dumbledore quote it's a point. of... Yes, it's a valid point. Like, there's plenty of Gryffindors that display massive amounts of bravery throughout this series. No one's denying that. But the greatest amount of bravery shown is from a Slytherin. Yeah. Yeah, and so, I mean... And we've had talks on this podcast before about houses and... I was just going to say, even more than Dumbledore's point, I think it's our point that is the more poignant that you're not just one house. No. Everybody is a mixture of all four of the houses. And when it gets down to it and your back is against the wall, who are you? Mm -hmm. And, you know, Snape has done a lot of bad stuff in the past. He'll do some bad stuff going forward. And when it comes down to it, how are you going to judge him? And I think every Harry Potter fan has their judgments on Snape. And again, I'm not trying to change anybody's opinion. But um, Harry has his own judgments of Snape of towards course, the end. Yeah. And all I care about is when you take in that judgment, um, he, he did some pretty phenomenal and spectacular things as well. So... Snape, 
Snape is worth a whole thesis. <laughs> we could do episodes upon episodes on Severus Snape because he's that rich of a character yes. to kind of pull stuff from. Yes. But um, we have some other stuff to talk about in the spoiler section. Some quick things, uh, really quick. That interaction between Albus and Fudge goes without saying that that breeds the mistrust that Fudge has from him later. I mean, that really... If he's had thoughts of Albus ever taking the, the minister role, I feel like this parting of the ways, quote-unquote, right. is now like, oh, no, no, now he's coming for me. Well, I forget who exactly tells Harry about it and in which book they tell him about it, but at some point, somebody tells Harry how, like, early in Cornelius Fudge's ministry, he was constantly sending owls to Dumbledore, asking him for his advice, and he's always kind of regretted that and felt like it makes him weak in Dumbledore's eyes, like Dumbledore could just at the drop of a hat swoop in and take his position. So I think there's always been that certain underlying sure. suspicion, and agreed, this just knocked it up yep. 10 levels. Um, and another really quick point, uh, Albus thinking of Winky at this time. I think this is the literal difference between Albus Dumbledore and Tom Riddle is they're both smart. They both get it. They both know. They both know how to move chess pieces around the board. They, they get that part. But the difference between the two is Albus doesn't overlook anything. Voldy overlooks some things. And he, he might go after the Dementors. He might go after the Giants. But what, what does he miss that ends up turning a tide at the Battle of Hogwarts? One of the lowliest creatures we have in this wizarding world is house elves. They're overlooked constantly, and we're constantly shown how spectacularly powerful they can be. And how they can thwart wizarding magic effortlessly. Dumbledore is just one to never... And maybe this is his relationship with Newt coming through. That, <laughs> that any like creature that. is not worth overlooking. That you need all the support, not just some. Well, I think it kind of also... It reminds me... What you're saying reminds me of that quote from Sirius when he's talking about Crouch, that if you want to know the make of a man, look at how he treats his inferiors, not his superiors. And... Sirius himself, Julie's going to come at me for this, Sirius himself could learn this lesson if he hadn't overlooked the creature. It's one of the most ironic quotes in the series. Exactly, exactly. Great quote, but it's an ironic quote. I think Dumbledore is the prime best example of it. Harry's not very far behind him. And, you know, treating, to use Sirius's words, your inferiors, and recognizing their importance, having a heart towards them. It's only going to make life better. Mm-hmm. And that's probably, like you said, at the end of the day, why it was Albus and Harry who won the day mm-hmm. instead of Tom. Uh, one of the last things I have for spoilers is um, this potion that Harry takes um, for dreamless sleep. And I know you have some thoughts on it, but my, my thoughts will be quick. Of just, this potion could change the future of the Harry Potter series. <laughs> oh my gosh, I never even thought about that. If, <laughs> oh my goodness. If he's like, wow, 
potion for dreamless sleep. That seems great. But if he continues to take this as he's getting visions and nightmares, Arthur might not make it in Order of the Phoenix. His visions leading to things in... Tyrius might have made it. Yeah. Yeah. Changes Order of the Phoenix, changes Half-Blood Prince, and changes Deathly Hallows. Immediately, if he's like, no, you know what, this is a good idea. I'm having these nightmarish dreams. I should keep drinking this potion. Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That is, like, a pretty big what if. Oh, my God. (laughs) Right? Because my point about the potion is that, like, to bring back a conversation, I think this one you had, I think you had with Julie about, like, the regulation of potions. And my comment was going to be, like, this one has to be regulated because I could see it become so addicting. Like, if I were Harry, why wouldn't I want to take this to just immediately put myself into a dreamless sleep when I've gone through awful things? But, so, I think he would have become addicted to it. And, yeah. Yeah. Wowzers. Could be a real, real game-changing problem. R.I.P. Arthur. Long live serious, I guess. In the... I was gonna say, like, how do you choose? <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, that's a lot. So, well, we took two different routes. Yeah. We're both right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it just struck me as like potion of dreamless sleep for Harry. That's an interesting that potion. That was a really good catch. I had not thought of. I like. There's so much from this chapter, and it, uh, honestly... So good stuff. Just read it, you guys. After this, just go back and read it. If I cried so much during this chapter and the next one. I said that I read the Death Eaters chapter over and over again to, you know, that rundown of who's, mm. who's who. Now, having reread this chapter, I think this would be a chapter that I would be... I would just love to just reread this chapter over and over again, because I love the writing between... Fudge and Dumbledore. I, I that think conversation it's... between Fudge and Dumbledore is so poignant. It's so relevant. It's so well written. It's a lot of fun to read. Yeah. We hope you have enjoyed all of this talk. I really loved this chapter. I was blown away by it on my reread. Like, like I've said a couple of times now, it's been a while since I've reread Goblet of Fire. And it has always been been one of my favorite books and I've known that so I always say Goblet of Fire is one of my favorites but having reread this book there's a reason why there's a reason everybody's favorites and I think it only becomes more so the more you reread it (laughs) and I will get into it on the chapter wrap-up next episode but (laughs) it's amazing that this book is one of my favorites when I called the chapter two the worst chapter in the series, and I hated the second task so much. Oh, I know, oh. I know. But considering those two facts, it's still one of my favorites, which yeah. just shows the level of writing that is throughout the entire book. It's spectacular. But anyway, we will wrap it up for this episode. Let us know your thoughts on it. I'm sure I'll come up with some awesome poll. So <laughs> check that for Spotify. Uh, when you're listening to the episode. Ooh, um, check for our info about Orlando. Check for our info. We will be posting that on Twitter and Instagram very, very soon. We'll so get some nerdy pictures. We'll have so many. <laughs> uh, and it'll be awesome. And uh, I'm sure we'll have some cool things to post on Instagram. But check us out. Leave a like. We really need the support uh, spreading our podcast far and wide to places like Estonia and Sri Lanka. Thank you again <laughs> for listening. Appreciate you. We will check you guys out on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye.
Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts Apod.